0: listening to the Ed Reach network
1: Ed Gamer episode 11 on Ed Reach an interview with a genius This is Ed Gamer for Wednesday, May 4th, 2011. Ed Gamer is part of the EdReach Network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. A big voice. Very big voice, and a big voice tonight. (laughs) This show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We'll give you the educational angle on any type of games, ranging from tabletops to MMOs. Jerry, I will not quiz you on that tonight. And on what MMOs are. They're multiplayer. He's good, Awesome. You got, you got your
0: Wikipedias up, right? I will remember that until the day I leave this earth, and then probably there you go. 10 years <laughs> after that.
1: Awesome. We'll discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I'm Zach. And I'm Jerry. And we have a special guest tonight, uh, Dr. Jim G. from Arizona State University. And uh, how about, Jerry, why don't you introduce yourself first?
0: Okay. Hey, my name is Jerry James. I'm a visual arts teacher at Schaumburg High School in Schaumburg, Illinois.
1: And Dr. Uh, Jim G., would you like to introduce yourself, please? Uh,
0: just Jim G. I'm a professor in the English
2: department in uh, Arizona State.
1: And I bet the weather's nice out there right now. It's
2: lovely right now. Oh. Oh. We, have frost,
1: we have frost advisories, advisory yeah. We'll
2: <laughs> let you know.
1: So there we go. My name is Zach Gilbert, and I'm your host. I am a sixth-grade social studies language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois. So tonight, uh, through the wonderful uh, connections that we have, I know Jerry has, and I don't even know how to explain it, Jerry, but I guess through Northern Illinois University, how, explain how this, how we were able to get uh, Jim G. on here tonight.
0: Uh, well, Dr. G., uh, when I first... Um, I guess you know we could talk about the way we we all came aware of Dr. G. I, mine was through um, classes I was taking at Northern Illinois University in my master's classes and um, taught by Dr. Lily Liu, and uh, she was big into uh, Second Life and did a lot um, in gaming and education. During the class, we focused on you know many different avenues of gaming and education, and um, Dr. G's book was one of the one of the texts that we looked at extensively, um, along with Prensky's and a few others. And, uh, um, you know, just some wonderful information in that book, Dr. G and, and he, you were, uh, more than, more than kind enough to, um, to answer my email. And, uh, that, right. you know, I I've given talk at Northern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's, uh, we were, uh, quite excited, uh, when you re- when you responded back and, uh, uh we definitely feel especially with this podcast that this kind of fits into your uh uh your sweet spot yep. and uh can you give us a little bit of a background of how you got into educational gaming and kind of the things that you've done
2: okay yeah let me say about northern illinois before i begin there is a faculty member there named Brianno collar who teaches mathematics and engineering with games very advanced mathematics. His stuff is just a blow away. Uh, he shows that using this game approach teaches this mathematics better than the textbook and with uh, gender equality. The males and females do equally well. You can look him up and see his stuff on Google. So, What was what was his name again? Riano Coller. Wow. C-O-L-L-E-R. It's wonderful stuff. Um, let me Very see cool. how I got into this. I mean I- I'm a linguist by training and I got into this when – my 15-year-old was six years old and playing uh, a game called Pajama Sam. Uh, who's <laughs> I loved the game. And I had never played video games. And, you know, like, just like a book, I mean, you know, parents want to get ahead of the kid and help them. And I thought, well, I'd go home and play the game. And and it turned out he didn't need my help. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I wondered, um, you know, what would an adult video game be like? And I, I went down and just bought one arbitrarily. I had no idea what to buy, of course. And... Um, expected it would be kind of just a fun toy. And to, it, with the game I got, quite by accident, was called The New Adventures of the Time Machine. Hmm. And a very fascinating game. It wasn't a famous game. Um, and and uh, I was just blown away when I took it home at how hard it was. And I thought, wow, this is really weird. You know, here's something I bought as a toy. I bought it in a toy store. And this thing is really... Demanding and hard and frustrating. Uh, and I, it was the first time I realized that popular culture had changed and that people were buying for fun stuff that even by school standards would seem difficult. Yeah, um, And I persisted with it, uh, you know, past failure, and I, of course, later came to see that that is a core feature of being a gamer, but also being successful in the 21st century, persistence past failure, and um, got hooked on these games, uh, and therefore I figured I better write about them or I won't have a career. And <laughs> I was very lucky that, you know, I wrote about them just out of my passion, uh, but managed to write a book that came out just at the right time, just as this wave was starting. And and um and so that was uh, a good timing. And, it, of course, it was also an example of writing about what you're doing and what you really have fun doing, which is always a, a good thing to do.
1: Yeah, your language arts background, I'm, I'm guessing, helped a little bit.
2: It did. You know, <laughs> uh, Henry Jenkins, who's worked very, a lot in this area and who uh, is a good friend of mine now but who I didn't know from Adam then, <laughs> um, got a hold of the manuscript of the book and called me up. And he said, you know, nobody writes stuff in this area that I don't know about. And he said, I I didn't know about this. I don't even know who you are. How did that happen? I mean, I (laughs) wrote this as an outsider. Now, I I have found that the gaming world, uh, the game designers and people like Henry who were ahead of me have been enormously welcoming, which for an academic is weird. You don't normally see that in academics, but uh, I didn't come out of the mainstream of gaming. I came out of the side and my background in linguistics and literacy um, helped henry said to me you know this book is is a book i wanted to write meaning himself but i didn't have the background in literacy to do it and hmm. uh, i think that was just a fortuitous combination that i that i um had that background in literacy and learning and also this passion for gaming
1: well it's made an impact on 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 jerry it's made an impact mm-hmm. on me and uh it, it's it it's nice that there's research behind what we like, because like you said, you have the academic, the collegiate background to be able to do the research. And, of course, you being a classroom teacher, it's like, OK, I have, you know, I have data. I can, you know, track that data, but it's it's more of what I see with the kids. Uh, sure. and, and I don't. Ha- so when I take it to somebody administrator, you know, I, it's nice to have some data to back that up. And I could go to this book. I could go to other things that you've done and others have done. And that's that's helped out tremendously
2: well you know the book did you know because an academic wrote it even though it was a trade book and i thought it had no jargon in it but little did i know (laughs) Uh, the uh the fact is people wanted and needed an academic to kind of um, validate this area and then of course many many younger people who were much more knowledgeable about the digital media than me were were about to come on the scene and right, I think all I did is you know kind of prepared the ground for them, and people, yeah. Kurt Squire and others, have really come on strong,
1: very strong. Uh, is a little side note. Uh, it is interesting about the gaming world. Uh, have you ever attended a you know a gaming conference?
2: Oh yes. Or you
1: board know. gaming, or just video game?
2: Well, I've been to GDC and uh, okay. a number of times, and a uh, Games Learning Society at Wisconsin's a conference I started with my students and fellow faculty. Um, You know, the GDC thing is an interesting story, though, because, you know, as I said, I was outside the mainstream of this when I wrote that book, and I had this Walter Mitty fantasy um, (laughs) that I would finish the book, and uh, they would call me up from GDC and invite me to talk, and and, and it really had no chance of happening except that it did, And, um, and so then I went to give a talk there, and of course, I didn't know anything about how they did it, and. I realized when I started to give that talk that a lot of the game designers I had written about in the book were in the room. Wow. And, uh, when I finished the talk, Eric Zimmerman, who's now a good friend but I didn't know at the time, a guy who used to run a company called Game Lab in New York, very, very smart man. He runs the um, game competition each year at GDC where different designers have to compete to design yes. games. And Eric got up and said, you know, some of the people you talk about are in the room, and why don't we ask them whether it's true, whether these learning principles are in their games. Oh, boy. (laughs) He turned to Warren Spector and said, Warren, are these principles in your game or not? Now, you know what his answer was, because if he had answered no, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we wouldn't be talking.
2: (laughs) I was very lucky that he answered yes. Um, so yes, I've been to a lot of game, uh, conferences,
1: but the sharing, you know, there's, uh, there's a board game conference that, uh, I'm not going to be able to attend again this year, but, uh, uh, in Indianapolis called Gen Con and you're talking about 30,000 board gamers. But what's so interesting is that you have all walks of life that come to this conference. Yes. doesn't matter who you are, what you do. Everybody's an equal. And everybody treats each other with respect. Well, that's and it's, because
2: they have a passion for what they're doing. I mean, even GDC, exactly. which is a professional conference, you really sense that it's not the money that's for them. It's the passion. You, yeah. you hear Will Wright talk, and you can see it's not about money. Oh, no. It really is. <laughs> no, a, totally. am sure Molyneux the same. <clears throat> so, um,
1: so that's how you got into educational gaming. What's, well, see,
2: I'm not into educational gaming. Um I don't, uh, you know, I, 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 we do, we are now in a period where, you know, the industry around games for learning and educational gaming is really, really just beginning to take off, and you know, a lot. But what I'm about is games and learning. Because, you know, we're now facing a future in which people are going to learn 24-7 in and out of school. There's going to be a boatload of industries that sell them customized, adaptive learning, whether it's big companies like Microsoft or many small startups. And so I think we've got to get out of seeing education as a separate domain and begin to talk about learning across institutions and across a lifetime and – um uh, 24-7 on demand, right? So yes. that's what schools have to compete with, right? They're right. going to compete with a guy. In, in, if we're not careful. It'll only be privileged kids but right. uh, who go home and say, you know, I, I want to learn something about geology. I want to learn it this way, and I want it now, and it's going to yeah. come. And so uh, what I'm interested in, first and foremost, is the type of learning that I call situating and we can talk about what that means. I happen to think games are one good way to deliver that learning. uh, But there are ways to deliver it too. And uh, so I think we got to put the focus on learning. And that lets us say then how do schools join this vision of uh, 24-7 learning across institutions. For one thing, schools – I hope, someday share information about their students with a bunch of different – so I want to know what the kid did at home, what they did in the library, what they did in, in the community center and how that ties to what they're doing in class. And the day is coming where we're going to be able to share all that information and really uh, build learning for kids across these institutions.
1: Well, what's great is that I'm seeing a push within my school district. You're right, it, You know, educational gaming, but it, the focus is on learning. And that, that should be, that should be the focus. There is a, there is a push within this state, Illinois, to, uh, move things to the cloud. And having a database of information where what you're talking about is taking all the data from these students, and the state of Illinois is the one that really wants to gather this. And the more information you have on how these students are learning, the better you can teach to what they want to learn. I mean, to what to they how should be they learn
2: learning. and what they want to learn. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this idea. See, if you think about it, one thing that games really and digital media uh, have brought home to us is that we can now collect copious data on a learner, mm-hmm. on hundreds of variables. We can feed it back to the learner to help them. We can use it to compare them to thousands of other learners to know where they stand, um, and we can, you know, we can assess them essentially on hundreds of variables across growth and time. We could say, how have you grown as a learner or a gamer? What are the trajectories towards mastery? Are you on a particularly good one towards innovation or just routine solutions? Now, think about when we start resourcing people with that sort of data over dozens of variables about growth over time, and that's going to compare to a test they took on Tuesday that you bought from some other state. (laughs) <laughs> you can see that the, the the implication here is our entire testing industry is on its last days.
1: Yes, and and what I love is that I get instant. The, not only do I get instant feedback, you know, from a game. Sure, the students get instant feedback. I can see that it doesn't take me. Oh, you know, I got to finish grading these papers. It's going to take me a couple days. I mean, it's yeah. the, it's lost. This generation of students is they want it. Like you said, they want it now. Right. I just and took this they
2: I want, want the represented. They don't, they don't want an A or a, a, or a C. C. They want they to want know a how a they're doing in a lot of different areas area. that make their next play or their next strategy work. Yes.
1: Yes, and that's uh totally. Totally. We kind of broke up a little bit there. What, Jerry? I was just going
0: to say and that's completely reasonable. You know, that's not that's not irrational for kids to want that either, I think with all the no. the technology that they have available to them. These days, that's you, know, that's, you um, know, you can already do this with Halo. The, uh, the company
2: that makes Halo will, ele- will if you want to turn over your computer to them, they will take all the information about your play, show you how you've done on multiple variables and different right. representations, and compare it to thousands of other players. So, right. we already have an assessment system. That is both formative because you know, the player is learning, and you know evaluative because you see where you stand. That is totally better than our school assessment system, and we're using it in our popular culture.
1: Right, and it's testing on so many different levels rather than A, B, right. C, D. Right, I
2: often say an assessment. You know that we take it as normal and natural that I would study algebra for twelve weeks and then take a test. But if somebody finished Halo on hard, you wouldn't offer them a Halo test after they finished.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is <laughs> <I like this. laughs> That is very good. Yeah, that took me a second. I was like, yeah, that, that totally because makes sense. Because we
2: trust the design of the game is so, so good that finishing it means That's, you mastered it. But we bastard. don't trust the design of the algebra. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And that, that kind of fits in. God, there's so many different things here. You know, I I really, as a teacher, I'd rather not have grades. I really focus on mastery, strong, uh, adequate, and needs improvement. And I actually compare it to Star Wars. So, you know, you have Yoda as master, and then, you know, you kind of move down, and I have... All the way from C-3PO and pieces as needs improvement. So uh, and the kids know that and and they've gotten away from it. They're not concerned I as much. That.
2: The other that. thing is that you know, learning does not happen or need to happen in the same time for everybody. What does it matter right. whether you master something in ten months and I master it in fourteen? Right. It makes no difference. We started at different places. We know damn well there are people who take longer and do better. Yep. We've got to get time out of this, right? A lot right. of kids don't like timed games, and I don't. Oh, I hate them. I don't care whether a kid uh, takes more time than another. I care that they'll both go to mastery. And I think when we tell people, well, you know, you're behind now because you took longer than Johnny, we actually destroy their progress.
1: Yeah, as, you know, one game that... I've taken a long time with is Dragon Age, yes, the original. I've and that you know, kids tell me, "Oh, I got that done in a weekend." You know, and, yeah. okay, that's great. You know, but you're getting out of it something different than I am. I right, might take a little bit longer. Take your
2: fun or mastery away from you that they right. get it quicker. Maybe right. you know, um, some years ago, when Kurt Squire was working at MIT, they had a game on. Uh, you were an electron, and you went through electric electromagnetic fields. And what they found is that girls learned more from the game than boys because the boys had an attitude seeing how quickly they could beat exactly. each level. And the girls had the attitude seeing whether there are different ways to beat each level.
1: Oh, and it's it's so interesting with games like uh, Civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing the different styles of how – I saw a difference between girls and boys – Yes. On how aggressive they were in either either building cities or holding a strong point and just building a small amount of cities or going out and just expansion very quickly. Right. It was it was very interesting yeah, to they, see how they would uh, focus on that.
2: Uh, even in the quest Atlantis, which is a game uh, at the University of Indiana that Sasha right. and Rob has done, uh, he's found too that in many ways girls take to it better than boys because girls seem to want to explore more. Yeah. and try different things which is actually a great strategy when you're a gamer you, you want to try alternative solutions and you I want guess to think about what you just did right I guess I'm more like a girl I don't yeah. know if that's I don't know if that's a good thing or not yeah, the, future, <laughs> it's a bad thing. the future belongs to girls by the way uh, my, uh, I have a recent book with my my wife uh, that I wrote with my wife on girls and women as gamers
1: very cool mm, cool very cool so okay uh what makes a good game for the classroom
2: what well do- first of all uh, let's ask that question to begin with what makes good learning in a classroom because yes games you can make two types of games you can make what I call chocolate and broccoli that is you just do skill and drill but you make it entertaining uh, so you're doing the same thing we do in school but you know maybe it's more motivating and, and I, I think that's a very poor use of games although it's popular now
1: yeah, it is very popular.
2: Real games and real games are about solving problems, and so the first thing you've got to ask is if the curriculum is just about facts and information, just retaining them and passing tests. Then all you're going to, the best you're going to do with a game is chocolate on broccoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the trouble with curriculum that is focused on facts and information is we've known since the 70s that it, while it correlates with passing tests, it does not correlate with problem solving. Kids can know and be able to write down Newton's laws of motion, but cannot solve a problem with them in the real world. Exactly. Uh, even, even in cases where you could deduce the conclusion from the laws, they cannot solve the problem. But if you teach by problem solving, but you design it in a way that you have to use the facts and the information and the formulas as tools mm-hmm. to solve those problems, you get both. You get fact retention and you get problem solving. So David Shaper at the University of Wisconsin has what he calls epistemic games, one of which is you're an urban planner. You have to replan in a City like world Madison itself. But uh, you have to then exit the game and defend your urban plan to a real urban planner. Wow. And what he finds is that kids can solve the urban planning problems, but they also have retained every fact that you would want oh. them to know because they've used them a hundred times in the game.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And it's. Well, that's it's, what
2: we have to look at. Now, since we're talking about a particular type of problem solving learning, that is not any type where games get you to solve problems in a specific way, and we can talk about that, then the real issue here is not bringing a game to a classroom. It's bringing problem-solving to the classroom and all the tools that will help that, and books are a tool that will help that, social media are a yeah. tool that will help that, and games are a tool. So the game is a tool. One
1: and one weakness that I see, and, and, and I see this with my students, I see this all around, but is, okay, and I love, I'm a constructivist, I, I love using... Problem solving, and the one problem that I find, whether using a book or whatever the tool is, is research skills. Right. Finding things—it's—it's it's very weak. It's it very weak.
2: Right, that's—you know—there's a lot of things that educators think come naturally with no teaching, uh, things like collaboration and being able to look up information. But of course, they don't come naturally. No. Uh, but, you see, in a good problem-solving learning, you would say, how can I uh, construct problems that the person really wants to solve, but they can't be solved unless they do some good research? Yeah. And, and that's where – you have to mentor them and design ways to teach them how to do that research. But And now they're going to take that teaching because they want to do it. They want to solve the problem. Right. And, and creating a key groups way to do this okay. is not to hand people books and texts first. See, think of civilization. Civilization has an encyclopedia in it, mm-hmm. but nobody says read it first and play the game second. <laughs> they say play the game first and then you'll want to read the encyclopedia.
1: Right. Right. And it's it's finding the groups because the collaboration piece is is very important to me and within my classroom. And it creating the groups is is almost the most difficult uh, in, in, in preparation because you can create groups that, as long as they work together, they can grow and learn together. Right. And I, I can, you know, yes, there's mentoring by me. I'm helping them as they go along. But it's amazing when you can get all different types of learning styles within a group, how they can help each other. And then they start seeing that, you know what, the student might not be good and uh, might not have good leadership skills, but, man, they can do this, this, and this. And, and, and the collaboration part, but also the learning about each other and learning the skills is so important.
2: Well, it's like a hunting party in World of Warcraft. I mean, why do those work? First of all, <laughs> the, the, the hunting people have some choice about how they align themselves. Right. They have clear goals and norms, and they have very good tools to help them. And you have a clear understanding that each person has a different role and they have to know their role well and they have to understand how the whole group works to integrate those roles. When you get that type of, uh, grouping, you get groups that are smarter than the smartest individual in them. Unlike right. committees, you know, where they're dumber than the dumbest individual.
1: <laughs> yes. And it's, it's it's almost easier in games because you have the different classes within in the different areas of specialization. But if you look
2: at problem solving today in science where people are working with complex systems, it's the same way. You don't have one expert solving the whole thing. They have you have to be an expert in something, but you have to pool it with other experts. Think about, you know, the collapse of our economy. Alan Greenspan, the world's biggest expert in economics, goes to Congress and said, "I never saw it coming. Nothing in my 40 years of economics taught me this would happen." Well, that's because he needed to pull. That was just—he was like a shaman in World of Warcraft. He needed four other partners, we weren't all economists, right?
1: <laughs> that I, I've never heard it mentioned that <laughs> you know, way. I gonna, think it's there's beautiful. That type
2: though. of expertise where you you would think it's all one. Specialty and your specialty doesn't need to be supplemented uh, is dangerous now in the world on complex systems. It's dangerous. Yes.
1: It's yeah, like hunt- you,
2: you- How well would five priests going out as a hunting party do in World of Warcraft?
1: Oh, they get wiped.
2: They- <laughs> Before they started, yeah. yeah. Well, that's why we got wiped in the economy. We sent out five economists. <laughs>
1: Well, that that okay. The social studies teacher in me thinks that it,
2: it,
1: you know I think of Lincoln, yeah, and uh, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin. I think that's what it is. Sure. The uh, team of rivals, or you know, wonderful,
2: wonderful book. Yes.
1: Wonderful, and and it's in you know being in Illinois and originally from Springfield. I I love Lincoln, but the, the whole idea is that he wanted different viewpoints. He wanted. Different angles to look at things, uh, so he could make the best decision Indeed, and that's yeah. kind of you know he,
2: that, he really did have this idea that it had to be like a hunting party that people you had they had to be experts, but he had to get them to play on a team. The yeah. key thing is they had to understand everybody else's expertise, and he he managed to pull that off. The other thing that Lincoln was great at that you just don't see much of is the ability to admit you were wrong. Yes take responsibility. Mm-hmm. you know he stood up and said that was a wrong decision that battle went badly it was my fault. He didn't yep. blame other people. jeez, we just never see that and um mm-hmm. uh, and, that, and so as a result, he was willing to change <clears throat> you know, games, one of the things I saw when I first started playing video games is they do not reward baby boomer intelligence. I mean, what I was taught <laughs> is intelligent is people who are as quick and efficient to their goals as possible. I think that's what baby boomers learned in school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think that's how we handled the war in Iraq, right? We went as quickly and efficiently to our goals as possible and created right. a disaster. Games say, first, explore everything. Uh, think laterally and not just linearly. Uh, and have clear goals, but be willing to rethink your goals from time to time. Yeah, in a very different way. Don't persist on the same thing. If it fails, try something different. Uh, take failure as as good, not bad. Failure right. learning. So that mentality of what constitutes thinking and intelligence is very different in video games, and why they frustrate baby boomers so badly,
1: and frustrate uh, teachers with a different mentality. Because that. why can't why can't we just keep on move? Why can't we move on? Right. We need to go from point A to point B and then to point C yeah, and, that's and move dis- on. That,
2: that is disastrous. It's disastrous it is. just for learning. You know that the learning sciences have had a mantra for 20 years, less is more. The less you teach at a deeper level, the more you get. And yeah. trying to teach a lot of stuff at a superficial level and moving on quickly gets you nothing. No. And it, games it, no realize, way. any game that you're just moving along quickly uh, and not feeling any frustration is returned before you finish it
1: now with with some games, you know kids will click through and just jump through things very quickly. but what I find interesting, especially games that are leveled mm-hmm. that have different difficulty levels
2: yeah.
1: what they what the gamers do they 'll go through those different difficulty levels and as they go through that, they actually gather more information, so they might be clicking through in the beginning right and getting through that, but as time goes on, they do have to go through and read and and get and gather all that information in order to complete those higher levels. Absolutely. So if
2: you try to play these games on a harder level, you 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 have to rethink your strategies even. You know, I mean yeah. take it if you take the, some of the classic Metal Gear Solid games. It, you know, they're really entirely different games depending on which difficulty level you play on them. I mean, they're easy just yes. level they're just a shooter. Then they're a stealth game, and on the hard level, they're a total strategy game, so they're really different games, and you've got often playing it on the easy level is just a good way to get prepared for what's going to be a much harder task yeah um i you know I do agree that there's um a, a problem this comes up a problem when we want to use games for education because gamers who try to just finish the game quickly and click through it and don't think about what they're doing. Uh, are that is not a good strategy for educational games, and so good right. educational games have got to be designed to force you into reflection. Mm-hmm. Now, the place that many, you know, gamers get reflection though is when they join gaming communities. So you play World of Warcraft, you get pretty good at it, but then you get on a website where you're in an interest-driven group and you're doing theory crafting and you're talking about, you know, your guild has told you, bad you didn't spec your character the way we want <laughs> now." No, you are really forced into reflection on that game. So very often, um, I mean, I think even the commercial game designers have seen that game design today is producing both a piece of software, but also a community of interest-driven, passionate people who want to reflect on your game, strategize about it, and even mod it. And we've got to take that to school. It's not Mm. just designing a game. It's designing a real set of social
0: interactions that are strategic and reflective around the game. So Jim, I know there's been some kind of, uh, you know, there's been some hesitation from some of the bigger companies like Blizzard and, and you know, I know Second Life had its problems with, you know, whether whether we consider it gaming or not, either way, you know, a media giant there, Linden Labs, kind of moving out of their educational environment. Do you think these bigger commercial companies will come around and support education?
2: Well, I'm not. You know, they're, they're They have. When the MacArthur Foundation, who funds my work, um, asked them to, you know, be part of a gaming contest and do stuff, they they were interested in doing that. I mean, they are they are coming around. Mm-hmm. But you know, in the commercial industry, if they don't make, you know tens of millions in each title and their stock goes down, they're broke. So they're probably not uh, a great spot for this. But, you know, where the real progress has come is from the independent game industry. Once the PlayStation 3 and the Wii and the Xbox had downloadable services, you finally got an independent game industry um, where you got now all sorts of niches. You got people making games for health, games for social change, games for – art, games for innovation. You've got people like Tracy Fullerton at USC, uh, where her students are making these independent games to be commercial games, but to be much more kind of artistic and thoughtful and innovative. So there's where the real energy is. And you know what I love about it, when I first got involved in this, people said, well, we can't make games for uh, learning because uh, games cost ten million dollars. How can we compete with Halo? Then you get things like Flower and Braid and uh, Braid downloadable. Yeah. they're made for hundred thousand dollars and wipe right. out anything we made in education. That excuse is gone now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so yes, uh, and 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 where the uh, big industries. So, so Microsoft has just started a, a unit on making educational games with a Kinect. And they hired one of my former students to head it, a man named Alex Gamez, who's just fabulous. His, na- his name is Alex Gomez, but it's spelled games. So people, hmm. when to get it, oh. you know. and,
1: uh, that's it, cool.
2: Yeah. And, 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 you know, there, I, you know, I've signed a non-disclosure agreement, so I can't say anything other than that. There's are just really some dynamite ideas coming out of there. And that's a big business, and they, they want to uh, get into the market for making games for school and education.
1: Awesome. I could, I could see, you know, World of Warcraft. I mean, we've, we've interviewed, uh, Lucas Gillespie out of North Carolina, who has really gotten into using World of Warcraft, uh, in, in literature, which, you know, yeah. uh, language arts, which is great. Mm-hmm. But I, instead of, you know, because they want to make the money. They, they yeah. need to make the money. But I could see them, like what you're talking about with the Connect is, is maybe making a group That's part of like an education group that takes the games and says, okay, we're going to take the educational angle on this and create content and and go with that. Blizzard's been
2: very bad about that. Yes. I think they've been so busy trying to keep that game up and running with all the people that Blizzard has been very uninviting for educators to use their platform. Um, But, you know, I think – the other thing we should keep in mind is, as Second Life got out of education is people thought uh, for a while, well, we were certainly going to get a thing like Second Life where educators opened campuses in it. But, you know, when they opened classrooms and campuses, they looked just like the real ones and they gave lectures in them, right? <laughs> and it innovative. And actually, I think that what we're finding is that games and social media are going to be integrated. Right, People are going to create what I call passionate affinity spaces, learning communities where people are passionate about sharing and teaching each other. And they're going to use game spaces, virtual worlds, and social media together. And so do you see begins- Facebook? What?
0: Do you yeah, see Facebook? All of,
2: all of it. I mean they're going to design – they're not going to use Facebook. They're going to make their own. But they're going to see themselves more as designing uh, learning communities, uh, where games are part of that social media part of that uh, people in the beginning saw social media and games as very separate things but as you know now the social media uses games and the games use social media we're going to see those meld and um, you know we're going to use augmented reality we're going to use the whole set of tools and uh people will be creating i think these groups and they'll certainly be in a you know in a virtual world or in a A website, but they'll also be using social media with each other. I think we're just seeing the beginning of that. I think a a virtual world like Second Life is too static. And, uh, you know, because after all, Facebook itself or even eBay, eBay is kind of the best selling multiplayer game, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know Civilization, they've come out with, what is it, Civil World for um, uh, Facebook. Yeah. And I haven't seen anything with that yet, but, no. you know, the you have the social media, you have right. the, you know, communication and Farmville. I mean, you know, there's there's things there. You know, so it's,
2: it's what Henry Jenkins calls convergent media. I mean, kids are used to the fact young, well, even 30s on down. I mean, they're used to the fact that they want their thing across to all media. Right. right? Um, and uh, they want it on their iPad. They want it on the computer. They want it on the platforms. No. They want it in social media. Um, and uh, that I think that people are getting formulas to integrate this stuff. And, I, you know, if you think about it, I mean, the integration of social media, augmented reality, mobile devices, games, virtual worlds and, and books and school would be a revolution. But, you know, school is still trying to get pencils in this. Mm. Yeah.
1: I'm worried about a pencil sharpener. Yeah. yeah so, right. you know. About the pencil <laughs> sharpener, right. Yeah. yeah. They can't even sharpen a pencil. But think I, I think about, that-
2: You know, have you ever thought about this? That the textbook, which is the most pervasive learning tool in schools, has been known for decades to be the least effective teaching thing we ever invented. <laughs> and it's still there. You know, there's yeah. a wonderful study done by Art Gracer where he's, he works on uh, artificial tutors that tutor algebra. And as a good scientist, he has a bunch of control groups. And so when he the, he obviously has the tutor, the artificial tutor teaching algebra, and then he has a human teaching algebra, um, and then he had um, a, a textbook, and then he had one condition that is nothing. The kid, you just take people that had nothing done to them. Then you give them an algebra test, and you know the, the textbook didn't beat nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am not surprised. Yes, but yes, they
2: you know, they're still in every classroom. I, you know, Junior. it's
1: it's more of a. Uh, I'm sorry, Jerry. It, it's the textbook is kind of for me. It's a tool. It's just another tool in the belt. Uh, it's a resource. You know, I use it sometimes. Yes, uh, sometimes we gather information.
2: Resource. See, the the reason they're bad for education is they're horribly written. You know, <laughs> they're standardized for different states. You know, somebody said to me once, "No textbook has failed to sell because it had stuff in it you didn't want to use, but they have failed to sell because it had stuff." Not in it that you wanted to use. Right. Every textbook's got everything in it. Uh, textbooks should be like game manuals, right? After you've played the game, you've done some science, you've gotten involved, you've got some problems, then it should be a resource tool.
1: Right, then right. It's
2: good. But, as a, I, it, but reading a textbook before you do anything, is like reading a game manual
0: without the game.
1: That's that's a very good point, Jerry. What were you going to say? I
0: was just going to say, Jim. Then where do you think the revolution comes from for education? Does it come from classroom teachers that are fed up by using these tools and finally discover new tools, or does it have to? Is it going to have to come from administration, state powers, government powers, higher? Well, powers, we know right? it's never coming from the higher powers. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming from two. It'll if it comes, it'll
2: in my view, it'll come from two things. One is that for the first time in history, public schools and in private schools, too, will have competition, a new school system, the out-of-school system. That is families that are wealthy, that are um, resourcing their kids hugely with digital media. Kids are modding games. They're l- making connections. They're using social media to build whole activities and not just socialize. Um, and uh, they're getting, you know, And they're getting 21st century skills out of school, and they go to school to get a credential. Uh, And they're on their way to top jobs. And then you have a bunch of kids who are in our urban schools who do not get this sort of acceleration at home. They don't get 21st century skills. The the schools do not offer those 21st century skills and they're on their way to Walmart. And now I think when we realize that we have a school system that sends three-fifths of our people into service jobs and the others go to the top because they have been accelerated at home with stuff that poor kids can't get. That will create a real dilemma for society and schools. People are going to have to make a social justice choice. Do I want to produce only, you know, the top, uh, you know, rich kids with these 21st century skills in this out of school uh, system or do I want it for everybody? And that's going to put a lot of pressure on schools and I don't know how we're going to make that choice. I mean, it's going to be a real choice. The other thing is that we can never, ever reform our schools unless we return teachers to be professionals. We mm-hmm. purposely deprofessionalize teachers. We took away their professional identities and privileges and knowledge. And unless we give them back that professional identity, uh, nothing will happen. Is that?
1: Are you talking about standards and standardized tests?
2: Yeah, I'm talking about standardized tests and 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 people who uh, say, "Let's just select teachers Darwiningly. If you do well on the test, we'll keep you; otherwise, we'll get rid of you." An accountability system where a test taken on Tuesday from Kansas trumps the teacher knows about a year of the kids' reading. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's the, very
1: frustrating as as a classroom teacher, right?
2: But you see, the games do play a role in this because. We have now come to realize that games teach, right? The games are Mm -hmm. about problem solving. They are selling learning as a drug.
1: And, and Jim, they they can reach all different kids. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor.
2: Right. It doesn't matter, and we can take the rich or the poor into modding. We can connect the games to a bunch of stuff. The other thing, though, is how do games teach? They teach through design. And what they tell you is that the modern teacher is a designer of people's learning. I've always viewed teachers are designing learning for their kids in just the way game designers are designing learning. And when we start to see teachers as designers, just the way we've seen game designers as designers, we will not be able to take away their professional identity and it will be a sexy enterprise, just the way (laughs) game design is a sexy enterprise. Saying that you are a 21st century designer and resourcer, of collaborative learning communities, it will be a sexy professional occupation. Now, if we move in those two directions, social justice where everybody gets 21st century skills and teachers as designers, then I think our uh, school system will, for the first time, dramatically change.
1: I really like you, Jim. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, uh, you, you, you I, I feel like I'm in church. It's the choir. You know, you're, you're preaching. It's well, and if we, totally if we don't this.
2: preach about it, one thing that bothers me is, you know, the one thing about the far right wing is they're not afraid to preach their values. Right. Uh, but the left wing seems to be so confused and everything is gray. And, uh, you know, the fact is we got to start preaching our values and standing up for them and saying that a school system for service workers with deprofessionalized teachers is the route to a third world country. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Wow, that's uh, Jerry. I'm getting an education. Yeah, this I'm, is fantastic. I'm learning. I'm, I'm learning and really enjoying this. Gym. Well, we're gonna
2: have a boss level later. We'll see how you do. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I I, a I save need point.
2: A lot of things under the stone. <laughs> that's the save point. You hoped. Yeah.
1: I wonder. If, I hope that chest over there has the weapons I need.
2: <laughs> okay. okay. Well, you know, one thing. I mean, I, you know, the one the. the one of thing the things Halo games do brilliantly, um, uh, especially I think the third one, is whenever you've got a problem that you're really is seems hard, there is the weapon you need nearby. It's like here's the tool, <laughs> right. and you know, you, and, and it's, it, that'd be a wonderful educational thing when kids are trying to solve a problem. Be sure the right tool is there.
1: Oh, so if I need a car, I just got to go to the dealership, and somewhere around there is the money to buy the car.
2: Well, in in a, in a virtual environment we teach kids, boy, I mean, you know, I think about, you know, one of the most common school things for little kids is you you have them play with pendulums and figure out how a pendulum works. Yeah. That problem is was too hard for Galileo. He figured out pendulums because he knew geometry. Staring right. at them he could never have figured out how they worked. And so we give a kid a harder problem than Galileo had to solve because we withhold from the kid the tool Galileo had, which was geometry. That yeah. would be like playing Halo where there was no gun on the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, How long would yeah.
2: you last with no weapons in Halo? Uh,
1: or portal without a portal gun. The
2: portal, yeah. I mean, so the point of this- <laughs> He, yeah, ask kids to solve problems without the tools yeah. that, that made Galileo genius. He staring at the pendulums, he would have never gotten it. Yeah.
1: A, a simpler an, analogy that I had from my mentor uh, as a soul studies teacher was, you know, why you want to give the kids the picture of the puzzle to solve the the puzzle.
2: Right. Uh,
1: you don't want to give them, you know, giving them a puzzle without the picture doesn't make sense.
2: Right. Exactly. Doesn't make sense. It's like giving manuals without games. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I guess we do that when we uh, build something. I don't need the instructions. I yes. don't need <laughs> the gas grill. I don't need the instructions. I'll just put all these parts together.
2: Right. <laughs> yes.
1: Not, not safe. Not no, safe. not
2: safe.
1: Um, so I'm looking at our questions here. Um, what are your favorite – I, I need to back up because there's so much, Jim, that you've talked about here uh-huh. – um, I think somewhere down the road, we're going to have to uh, talk, may, hopefully at a future date. I would, I would love to do that. Uh, the What do you see as the tools, like the tool belt for the modern teacher? And uh, maybe we can talk about that later because I could see a long discussion about that one. Yeah, because- that,
2: that could be a long discussion, but it would be one that we don't really fully know yet because – the real issue is how do you know teachers are not, in general, even the young ones are not as digitally savvy as some of mm-hmm. the young people. For the precise reason, if you really have high level digital skills, you're probably not going into teaching, mm-hmm. because we've so demonized our teachers. I mean, I I think we're probably the only culture in history that has demonized teachers. Um, we don't yeah, demonize yeah. financiers who wreck the economy, but. The <laughs> That uh, we know that that tool. If we view teachers as designers of learning and problem solving, then we know what sorts of things have got to be in that tool belt, um, and we've got to begin to build digital tools that ha- that you know, just the way a game designer gets a great engine, right, to design stuff, or the mm-hmm. way modders use. We've got to be give those sorts of engines to teachers to design. Learning communities and and really put money and effort into into doing that. We don't know fully what those tools are. We know some of those tools are going to be the data mining, the getting the information, customizing it, and using it to make decisions. Um, hopefully, teachers will be in this. But the, the thing is, we huh. uh, I I think one of the biggest priorities is we we should start a national. Uh, thing called something like Digitally Savvy Teachers core, where all the teachers who want to get up to speed in this stuff and want to contribute to it can join an interest-driven group the way you could join one to mod uh, the Sims or to design for the Sims. We should have a group like that where, where teachers who are really good at this or just newbies can be in it and be in a passionate affinity space, interest-driven group to uh, uh, really design New tools for um, teachers as designers, and and yeah. uh, I I don't be I don't think it's a bad thing that teachers are not digitally savvy. It's always a good thing for kids to learn with their teachers, uh, but I think we have to give teachers as powerful learning communities as we've given kids.
1: Yeah. Now on a smaller level, and I'm going to brag about my administrator.
2: Um,
1: he has put together his own tech a committee within our school to look at and try to uh, just like a professional learning community of what are some things that we can do technology-wise uh, to help out our school, to help out learning. His, sure. his whole focus is on learning. And that's what I love is that what you're talking about, it's the focus is on learning. So what are the tools there? But you're taking it to a higher level. You're you're talking about the creation of of some of these tools.
2: I want just the way there is great – uh uh sites for designing for the sims where you can be an expert designer or a newbie and there's thousands of people there and they're of all ages and they're mentoring each other I'd like to see stuff like that for teachers nationally where you can grow an identity, make your own contributions, be there forever, be mentored by other people, and then you create the same thing for your kids. I think it's great your administrators doing that. Uh, just as we used to have book clubs for teachers, you know, they read yes. books. Well, why don't we have digital clubs for them where they get yep. to play and they get to it, criticize and do the stuff themselves?
1: Yeah, yeah, and test and, and trial and, sure. you know, Absolutely. in small groups and then build it out. Yeah, absolutely. Build it out. Um, okay, so let's get to some games. Uh, what are your favorite games that you enjoy? It's. It, I'm telling you, you're really impressing me on your uh, your library of <laughs> knowledge on certain games. So, uh, out of all of that, what do you say are your top games that you now, enjoy? You no,
2: know, There's so many of them that I have loved. Uh, you know, in the beginning, uh, one of the first games I played was the first day of which I just thought was a brilliant <laughs> game, just absolutely brilliant. And nice story, yeah, and a good story. But the way in which you could even kind of redo your skills and thinking, even at the end of the game, to solve problems was wonderful. Uh, it had, you know, Warren Spector has always stressed having multiple solutions to a problem, and I think that was great. Of that's course, huge. I loved the original Half Life. To this day, it's still
1: a <laughs> that's great
2: experience. <laughs> um, uh, one of my all-time favorite games is. Uh, uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. This is a game that, wow. you know, is the, you know, to this, it's, you know, this shows you something about, it. there are games like Grim Fandango and that one that are as good today and they look as good as anything you could get.
1: Stand they, the test they, of time.
2: Yeah, they certainly, certainly do, and that game certainly stands the test of time. Recently, I was really blown away by Demon Souls, uh, because, you know, like the original Ninja Gaiden, those are two games that are damn hard. But... <laughs> They are both really fair. I mean they are really about mastery learning. They say to you in the beginning, we will never once cut you slack, but we will never once be unfair. And if you want to stay in the box, you want to work at this, you will succeed. And I, I admire that. I think that's a great both of those were great experiences, uh, because you know you didn't feel cheated, but you knew there was gonna be no cheap shots. You were you weren't gonna get any fake uh victories, and those were both yeah. uh both uh great um so yeah there's a lot of games that i've loved i liked the last i've liked all the metal gear solid but the last one i thought was incredibly impressive partly because solid snake was my age and, <laughs> and uh it was uh it was great um you know controversial cut because they were very long i've written an article about that game i really did uh love it what uh and it's a game with great re- replayability too so those are some of my uh, favorites. There's a lot of other ones that changes from time to time. I actually liked Pajama Sam, too.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, I know you've talked about civilization before. Is that, yeah. is that something that you enjoy?
2: Um, you know, the thing about real-time, that's not a real-time strategy game, but uh, but real-time right. stra- strategy games, it's a turn-taking strategy game. I, right. I, I have an article about this. When I, when I first started to play games and played the real-time strategy games, I was no good at them. The micromanaging, the speed, the rushing, I mean, it really sent me crazy. And then I played Rise of Nations when it came out. And Rise of Nations is brilliantly designed to be learned. It it actually remedied my disability. See, I had become a disabled learner. I had incorporated a a negative view of myself in real-time strategy games. And Rise of Nations has multiple ways to learn it. They have beautiful tutorials. The game just functions. for. So uh, it got me over my disability. uh, And I loved that game.
1: Warhammer does almost the same thing.
2: Yeah, Warhammer and, and is, is good in this regard too. And now Civilization, you know, when I first took it on, uh, it, it it just seemed to me amazingly, uh, you know, you could just see the learning curve to be really good was going to be uh, heavy. And I really never caught on to it until I, you know, came friends with Kurt Squire, who was studying <laughs> yeah. it, yeah, and who in a sense told me you're supposed to be overwhelmed by it. Right. Yeah. The point and showed me all the Internet resources. And what I've come to admire about civilization is it's, you know, somebody said to me when I said we have civilization is a great way of learning history. I said, no, it's not, because history is about what really happened and and civilization isn't. And I said, oh, boy, you missed the entire point of history. Not the game. History is about explaining why something happened. Right. And one of the best ways to explain why something happened is to see how it could not have happened, right? Hmm. Or how it could have happened differently.
1: You see the foundations.
2: Right. And civilization is about real history, that is, explanatory reasoning about why something did or did not happen and how to make it different. So I saw the problem wasn't that they misunderstood civilization, they misunderstood history as a discipline. <laughs>
1: I agree. And that's that's the I actually have connected the uh the foundations of the game, you know, the mm-hmm. the civics, the, yeah. the culture, uh the people, the geography, and I connected those to our Illinois state standards. Yeah. And so I've created my own civilization themes, but oh, good. it's Great. all of these so each time we create, uh, each time we discuss a civilization, uh, I've gotten I've gotten to the point where the students I can give them some list of topics and they can place these within a civilization chart. Now the right. wonderful thing is is that when I talk about the Parthenon, the some kids will say, well that's science and math, that's a science and math. No, that's that's arts and that's arts and literature and leisure. You know I've created these categories, so they'll debate on you know where it should be placed and give reasons why it should be placed and then someone pipes up says that's religious it's got the statue of athena in there i mean this that's the whole purpose of so of it being built
2: also learn that to the greeks those were not clearly separated math and science were ways to build culture in the world and numbers were religious so right so those are modern categories to make those things completely separate right
1: but that what making having them make the connections it shows a much deeper understanding
2: yeah, and you know, civilization is, is very strong as a simulation of how geography works. It's not as yes. good on culture, and that makes people think about, well, how would I build a simulation for culture? You uh-huh. know, I, thought if, I don't know if you've read the book 1461, which is about the modern scholarship on Native Americans before Columbus. Which before
1: Columbus, been, right.
2: It's been completely transformed, I and mean, what they've discovered is really mind-blowing. And um, when you look at that, as you read through what they've discovered about how different things happen with these civilizations, it really looks like you could enact the whole thing in civilization as a game. So much of it is about who was next to you, where were you, where was the river. Jeez, these guys were violent because this trading thing was too close. I mean, you know, all of a sudden you see, wow, you could make a great game out of 1461. Mm. Because all this new scholarship is really about, hey, it didn't happen the way you thought. It right. happened a different way. And the way it happened is, is like... You know, you've got to game different scenarios. W- what would happen if I put all this stuff here and this stuff here? And that's kind of what happened in history: is that nothing came out the same way every time. It depended on the local circumstances.
1: Right. Uh, you know, I
2: love the fact that they discovered that. You know, we thought that in the Amazon you could never have had a large number of people because mm-hmm. you couldn't sustain them agriculturally, and then it turns out there were tens of thousands of thousands.
1: People. Yeah. And they had yep.
2: discovered a slash and burn uh agriculture that we have never managed to discover again to approach the one that was ecologically safe and right the, you know we think oh they're primitive well far from it right oh
1: that's advanced Yeah, <laughs> it's very advanced okay so we have favorite games uh any least favorite
2: well i don't play least favorite games if a game- <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: okay once that you play, started and um, dumped
2: you know um if Some of the names I don't even remember. Um, there was an X-Man game that pissed me off because the last <laughs> boss was so badly dead. I loved the game <laughs> until then, but the boss was unfair. You know, I don't like, it like all gamers, uh, when you see something is set up to make you lose. Oh. Uh, or like what I don't like, in this boss, you have to fight the first half and the land could disappear from you underneath you and kill you immediately. And it took like 20 minutes to kill the first boss. And then you went into the second one with no save, and the land almost disappeared immediately if you didn't move. And you couldn't know that until you'd done it once, so it meant you were guaranteed to play it again. Then I I write the game company and tell them I'm going to be a terrorist. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I actually don't. I don't really remember the games I don't like because I just I put them away. Although I always give them, I I certainly have had games where I didn't like it in the beginning and then came to love it. With any huh. game, you've got to get a feeling of what the game is doing, and some and in some good games, you may not discover that on the first level.
1: It's almost like music. Yeah, it is like music, and yeah. because
2: you find the depth in it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, then when you find the depth in it, you say, "Wow, this is this is a lot better than I I thought." You know, I've I loved the original Morrowinds you know, game. I thought it was even better than Oblivion. But um, wow. you know, in that game, it, it, at first you say, oh my God, this is like a job because it was so open-ended. You got, I've got 14 things I can do tonight. I, yeah. I've got to prioritize. It feels like work. But then all of a sudden you get it. You get it. That's what you're spo- – you know, it's this experience of really choosing each night how you're going to play that game and what you're going to do. And that drove some people crazy. Right? They hated it. Uh, and other people, it just that you thought, well, that's the point. This is like a real life.
1: Did you ever get into like Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, oh, yeah.
2: or sure. oh, yes, and those? You know, I I I love role playing games, and I wished they would make more of them as good as the original Fallout or Baldur's Gate. Um, oh. They were just fabulous games. Although in Baldur's Gate, the the not the adventure Baldur's, the the, the role playing one, uh, the right. guy where you had the little chipmunk or whatever. <laughs> you stop you stop saying i'm not going to talk to any npcs anymore because i have so many quests now and every time i talk to one of these guys (laughs) i get another job (laughs) those those games i i I really loved and and, very nicely built and um oh fallout's wonderful uh mass effect 2 wonderful wonderful games yeah but there's still something in those original i don't know why they don't reskin. Baldur's Gate, and in particular the first Fallout, the original, and reskin them and put them back out. I mean, so
1: we can play them, yeah.
2: Not only play them, and then they would be more immersive because they, uh, what is it, it um, Torment Lands? What is that? The the one with the talking head that's so funny.
1: Oh, is that Tor- is that Torment?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that one. You know, re, I mean, you could reskin that thing, and with the dialogue, <laughs> it would still be fabulous. It was
1: it was horrible. <laughs> Yeah, Mark's that was head
2: is very funny.
1: Oh, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could say it's funny. Yeah, it's. Uh, I see. I love the role playing games, and I remember uh, we would actually do set up little networks. Yeah, uh, and 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 play those. I tried the. I'm not as happy with the Neverwinter mm-hmm. Um I don't know if you've ever played those.
2: Yeah, I, I liked the first one, but then they got pretty ah. Yeah. Good multiplayer. But, um, yeah, they were – you know, no, but it's hard to – people have not – that was the closest to making a great Dungeons & Dragons game. But there's still more to be done there. The, the multiplayer Dungeons & Dragons was a huge disappointment.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I, I uh, The MMO you're talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I played – we played it for a while. Um, it was okay. But, yeah, it was just kind of, it, okay, got a quest, go. Uh, you know. it,
2: it, there's so much more could have been done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The uh, but there's some. I tell you what. I know Diablo three's coming out. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, what's the uh, was it Dungeon Siege three? Yes, that's
2: coming out too. That I looks So those pre order and uh, another um, Morrowind is coming out. So now what? what thing, I must say that the sequel thing is, and I all you know the, the Assassin's Creed games have been great. But yes. The sequel thing can go too far. I mean, there are times where a game is good. <laughs> But she said, "Boo! I've done this already. I, I, with a lot of the first-person shooters, I'm getting to that point. There, you say, wow, this is really good,' like Crisis or these. But I've played this now a hundred times. Yeah, you know. So I really do appreciate when you get real innovation. I, I just d- did uh, one of the downloadable games, Heroes of Might and Magic, Clash yeah. of Titans, number four, fabulous game. Yeah, because the 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 fighting is like a little chess game." And, uh, and it's very intriguing. They even have sick, like, problems you gotta solve with one move. And yet it's embedded in a, you know, in, de- in a fun enough story. And it's, uh, it was quite a good game. But for me, I hadn't played the original ones. So that was you know more new. That was newer to me.
1: Yeah. So is, do you use steam?
2: I do use Steam. I, when I used to play more on the computer, I deleted it from my computer about eight times because it keeps screwing the computer up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I do use mm-hmm. Steam. It, okay, it's yeah, a downloadable service. You get a lot of cheap stuff now.
1: Oh yeah, there's some there's some good stuff on there. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of little. Yeah, uh,
2: we use it in our classes because so that you know, like Kit, it's a good way with the downloadable cheap games for them to get to play a whole assortment of games.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've I've, I've written a little bit. Uh, and we actually had an episode talking about Steam, and I would love to see them put together a educational platform. Um, I don't see us putting out, uh, you know, having Left for Dead pop up on the screen. No, but
2: no. but having. Uh, we aren't at the point yet where we can do that. The, the, the original uh, when the serious game industry started uh, for in earnest. The original games were terrible because they were made by baby boomers and instructional technology people from schools of ed. It's mm-hmm. only now that real game designers, like the people at Filament who do I Civics, in their thirties and twenties, uh, that are making these games that we are now, for the first time, getting authentically good. Uh, games for social change and learning and stuff. And so you're going to see many, many more good ones. But uh, the, the industry was late in getting started. Uh, you couldn't have a Steam. There isn't enough good stuff. But uh, it, it's inevitable the day is going to come where you teachers will have a Steam thing that will not only give them a whole array of games, but the ability to even mod some of the stuff for their own Yeah. Game.
1: Uh, One last thing, and I think we'll have to cut it, but have you seen – I just emailed uh, this group, uh, Supergiant Games. They have a game called Bastion. No, never heard of it. Have you seen this? It's an independent game. Uh, It's gotten some awards already, Independent Games Festival. Uh, It was a finalist. And it's kind of it's it calls it here as the first title from Super Giant James original action role playing game set in a lush lush imaginative world. The graphics are the animation is wonderful. Oh,
2: good. And it says awesome.
1: uh, must create and fight civilization's last refuge as a mysterious narrator marks every move. It's kind of like a builder. It seems like a um, uh, it's it's different. It is totally. Yeah, it's coming I'll out on look, Xbox I've, Live.
2: I've been really intrigued by the stuff around Minecraft. I mean. it just as amazing <laughs> how a game in beta made by a single guy has spread so thoroughly. But what that really shows is people do want to build. I mean, you know, yeah. and uh, there's, a, you know, whole niches we have. You know, Will Wright said once that we've only explored 1% of the possible games. And I think that's true. Yeah. And, and a lot of that was caused by the blockbuster mentality of the commercial industry. But, you know, there's still an immense space left out there.
1: Well, you're going to have to check out uh, the website because I'm trying to look here to see what episode. We actually had a gentleman from New York City um, who is called Minecraft Teacher. Oh, really? And uh, he he uses it in elementary. He actually did some puzzles with second
2: graders. Really? Good for him. Well, you know, people – Certainly, the commercial industry um, has never underestimated the intelligence of children. We sell them things like Yu-Gi-Oh! written at a twelfth grade level and have seven year olds debating it. Uh, <laughs> yes, you, know, you can't really. Kids can do anything you want.
1: Yes, they can. They definitely can. Well, um, I think that's uh, I think that's about it. Okay, Jerry, I'll go get dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And uh, thank
0: you, Jim, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. We can't thank you enough.
1: can't thank you enough on that. And so this ends another episode of Ed Gamer. Please check us out on edreach.us and all the great blogs and posts there. That's it for tonight. Thanks again. Have a wonderful evening.